Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is everything you need for tips, tricks, and things to just be generally awesome. I'm your host, Amanda. And I'm your host, Claire. And this is RDH Bites. All right. We have Fatima Datu today. Professor Datu is a full-time professor at Georgian College. And I know we started our conversation years ago. And I know Fatima, if I can call her Fatima, has really a big heart for our students, not just our students, but also our instructors, our faculty members. And, you know, she really wants to work with all of you so you can actually be the future of our profession, Dena Hygiene. So I have Fatima today. She's going to talk to you about a very... I say everything is important, but this thing is a little confusing. That's why having her help is going to be awesome today. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Great. So should we jump straight into the topic? What are we going to help our students with today? Yeah. So today I thought we could talk about sampling. Whenever we read research papers and when you go to the methodology section, the section where it says, you know, how the researchers did the research, one of the things they'll tell you is how they got their participants, how they got people to come forward and participate in their study. And that kind of leads to sampling. And, and so there's many different types of sampling techniques, or there's many different ways that researchers can grab people to come forward and participate in their study. And that's what we'll look at, the different types of sampling methods, what's good sampling, what's bad sampling, because there are some sampling that that's not good. And, and it leads to bias. It leads to, you know, uh, when things are skewed. And so we'll look at that as well. Great. Fatima, that is an excellent topic because there's million studies out there, right? And every, let's say, new toothpaste that comes, that is released, they say, you know, according to our study, it, it is the best. But really, what kind of sampling or what kind of participant did you have? And was it biased or unbiased? And unless you know the terminologies, unless you know how to do research while, you know, you just believe what everybody says. And our job as scientists, literally in dental hygiene, we are scientists, is, is to just get to that next level of understanding for ourselves, for our patients, for everybody. So did you see any reports or any studies in your life, Fatima, when you write it, you're like, mm, that's a little biased, wrong sampling? Yes. And it's very common. And I'm sure many of us will also experience that, you know, once we're out in the real world and once we're reading a lot more research papers. So, for example, the other day I read a study on oil pulling. So oil pulling is it's somewhat, it was done way back in the ancient times and it's come back because many people like to be all natural and herbal and all that. So then there was this thing about oil pulling yeah. and my patients actually asked me about this. And I said, let me get back to you. And so, you know, you can have patients ask you. And if you don't know, make sure you do your thorough research. And again, when you do research, don't go to Google and do your research there. Always use evidence-based research to go to a journal article, a credible journal article where you have dental hygiene journal articles. And you can pull out incredible information from there. So that's what I did. I didn't go to Google. I went to a journal, a credible journal article, dental hygiene journal article, and I found some papers on oil pulling. And what I noticed that when you go to a Google, for example, and you read articles on oil pulling, sometimes their sampling techniques were not that great. And so just to recap, oil pulling, by the way, is you take a tablespoon of oil, you swish around your mouth, and the hope is that when you swish around, all the bacteria contents will 
get removed from your mouth and, you know, your oral health will return to a good state, which depending on the study you read, many are for it and many aren't for it. And the reason for that is as dental hygienists, we should be skeptical with oil pulling because we, we always want to go with what ADA or CDA says. We always want to go with what the American Dental Association or Canadian Dental Association approves of. And, and oil pulling isn't there yet. It's not, it's not something recommended. So when I'm reading those articles and I'm reading about oil pulling, sometimes they'll say in the article that the sampling technique used was convenient sampling. And that's one type of sampling that's not a good way of sampling. And that's what we'll look at. We'll look at like what are good sampling techniques and what are bad sampling techniques. So sometimes if you see convenient sampling written in the journal article, that's not a credible study that you would want to use. Great. I'm laughing here because I tried oil pulling because, you know, patient asked that and Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to try this myself. So I went to the store, bought a jar of coconut oil. Yes. Is that what you did too? coconut oil okay put I it, did yeah put it in your yeah. mouth and you're supposed to swish it that thing is like work of its own Just try to swish it around <laughs> melting right? yeah, it like your muscles are working okay and then you spit it after a minute or something like that but I mean I try I really try to like it just to think okay maybe this like natural way of doing things is awesome but I mean we know from science I don't know what, what's really in there that's going to prevent the biofilm. You know, bacteria, they don't just stick to the oil like that. And it's not like you can spit it out like that. You know, <laughs> it's not made mm-hmm. to do that. Exactly. So anyhow, so you mentioned convenient sampling. And I think there are many more different types of sampling. Is that correct? Yes, there is. So there's the way we, we look at sampling is there's probability sampling and then there's non-probability sampling. So probability sampling are the good type of sampling when there's randomization happening. And so randomization is like, let's say, let's say I'm doing a study and I want to invite, you know, I want to have participants come forward to my study. And one way I could do this is by random sampling where I put everyone's name into a hat, for example, and I randomly choose names. And then let's say the first 10 names that I get, those are the 10 people that will come forward and participate in my study. That's random sampling. And that's actually a good way because when we say random, what that means is that everyone has an equal and independent chance of getting selected. I have no say as to who's going to be selected and you have no say as to who's being selected. So when no one has any say as to who's being selected, that's great because you minimize bias. There's no favorism. So random sampling is sometimes known as simple random sampling is honestly the best way. The downside with that is that it is time consuming. Imagine if you're doing a proper study and you get a list of so many people and then to put them all into a hat or to put them all into a computer system and generate a random sample is not always easy. So that is time consuming, but that is a good way of sampling. The other type of sampling is stratified sampling and stratified, the word stratified comes from the word strata. And strata basically means groups or subgroups. So for example, I could have males on one side and females on the other side, and then I could randomly choose 10 males and randomly choose 10 females, and then they come forward and participate in my study. The difference between simple random sampling and stratified random sampling is that stratified, you have groups, males versus females, or semester one versus semester four, or uh, dental hygiene students versus nursing students, and you randomly choose some, a 10 from or any number from one group and the other group. Whereas simple random sampling, everyone's in one pile. It's one big group. 
So that's simple random sampling. That's good. Stratified random sampling, also good because there's randomization. Again, you put everyone's name into a hat, for example, and you randomly choose. So those are good ones. We also have something called multi-stage sampling, and then there's also something called systematic sampling. And multi-stage sampling, it's if you think of the name multi-stage, multi means many and stage. So you're sampling in stages. So for example, if I wanted to do a study on dental hygiene schools within North America, I could put all of uh, the states and the provinces. So let's say I'm doing Canada, for example. I want to look at all the dental hygiene schools within Canada. And what I could do is I could take all the provinces, put it into a hat and randomly choose one province. Then from that province, I could choose find all the cities within that province and randomly choose one city from that province. And then from the uh, city, so you, you're kind of working big, you, you have all the provinces and you're going to cities. And then from the cities, you randomly choose like different schools within that city. And then you choose that one school, so one school gets selected. And then that one school, you would find out about that dental hygiene program and you could write about it that way. So multi-stage sampling is you have a big group, you start with a big group, like all the, all, like Canada. And then from Canada, you put all the provinces into a hat. Then you choose one province, and then from the province, you choose one city randomly. You're always randomly choosing a city, and then you're randomly choosing a school from that city. So you're working big to small. And that's multi-stage sampling, which again is a good way of sampling because there's randomization. You're putting all the provinces into a hat. You're putting all the cities into a hat. And the last type of probability sampling that is also good is known as systematic sampling. And systematic sampling is when you choose a random number. So let's say I choose number 10. I randomly from a hat, I choose a number and that number was 10. What I could do then is I have a list of people in front of me, like an attendance list, for example, and every 10th person from that list gets selected and they come forward and participate in my study. So systematic sampling is when you have a fixed interval. So let's say you randomly choose number 10, every 10th person from the list gets selected and they come forward and participate in my study. So those are good type of sampling techniques. All right. Well, you summarized it so well. I know we all struggle understanding literally those type of sampling. And when you read it in a textbook, it doesn't exactly make sense. But I think everybody is going to understand all of those four things that you have described to us, Fatima, today. So just to recap, those four types you have described, they are random, meaning that there's no bias. You can put them in groups sometimes. You can put a, a systematic way of choosing them. But no matter what, the whole point is that it's not someone saying, I want tall people versus, you know, mm -hmm. people who are wearing hats or things like that. You, you kind of find a way to randomly select your group. So that said, those are the good types. What are the bad types? <laughs> yeah. So, for example, when I was reading that study on oil pulling, when I looked at how they got their sampling technique, it said convenience sampling. And convenience sampling is part of the non-probability samplings or the bad type of sampling. And when I say bad, the reason why I'm saying bad is because it creates bias. There's favorism involved. So, for example, if I wanted to make myself look good and I want participants to come forward and write about how I'm a good instructor, for example, perhaps what I would do is I would get like those people that sit in the French row of my class and I would ask them to come forward because I think that those people that sit in the French row are the ones that always pay attention, are the ones that like me. So this is convenient sampling because the French row people, they're readily accessible people. They are people that are, I know will be willing to come forward. And I, if I grab them to come and participate in my study, that's convenient sampling. 
how many of us have gone to a mall and you know have you have you ever been stopped at a mall saying by someone to ask right. if they can come and participate? Always, right? I'm yeah. sure one of us, right? That's convenience sampling when you have voluntary participation, and so that's not always good because only those that feel strongly about the topic will come forward. Everyone else will just walk by there. So those people that feel strongly will come forward, and that's not a true representation of the population. That's not a true representation of what everyone thinks. Mm-hmm. Great, so that's great. one bad convenience sampling. When I was studying convenience sampling, you know, I was just thinking in my head, it's, you know, whoever is convenient for me to get to a certain result. Exactly. And if I think about oil That's pulling, right. I mean, it'll be, we're not going to ask like, let's say dentists or dental hygienists to do oil pulling. We might be going towards people who know who shop at like, you know, shops that are very, they say they use natural ingredients or things like that. So then, and they're more likely to say, hey, this is a wonderful method. And Amanda made a good point. There's no physical disruption of this oil pulling. You're just swishing it in and out. There's no mechanical, like you need to, that's why the brush mm-hmm. exists. So anyhow, you know, that's what I think. I understand what convenience sampling is for Tima. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. There's convenience sampling and then there's also purposeful sampling. And many students get confused between purposeful sampling versus convenience. Convenience sampling is like people just voluntarily come forward. Whereas purposeful sampling, this is where you as a researcher, you're intentionally thinking where you can find the subjects or where you can find participants that will make your study look good. So for example, let's say I'm a stats instructor and I want to prove to my dean, for example, that all my students do really, really well in my stats class. If I were to employ purposeful sampling, what I would do is I would get all those students that scored 90% and I would tell them to come forward and participate in my study. Only those that did really well, like 90% average and higher in my class. That's purposeful sampling. Here, we're not really getting voluntary participation. Here, I'm purposely finding the people that will make my study look good, that will make me look good. So that's purposeful sampling. Another example is if I want to find people that are really religious, I might purposely go to a church, purposely go to a mosque, purposely go to a temple and get those people to come participate. So when you, as researchers, intentionally selecting subjects who are, you know, who will make their study look good, that's not always the greatest, right? That's purposeful sampling. Whereas with convenience sampling, you're just whoever is out there that's willing to come forward will come forward, right? It's voluntary. Easy, close to my door. Okay, great. Yeah, so exactly. in that case, yeah, what I have described with, I say, oil pulling, then going to that store, it probably is a little bit more purposeful because I'm trying to mm-hmm. skew it in a way that people who are already more likely to like it are going to say yes to my study. Okay, you got great. it. Exactly. So, uh, Fatima, when we look at a research, do they always tell us like what kind of sampling did they use? That's a good question. So sometimes you will say it directly say random sampling or convenience sampling, but many times it doesn't say. It'll just say how they got it. And then we have to kind of figure out, okay, is that a probability sampling technique or is that a non-probability sampling technique? So sometimes it is specifically written there that it's a systematic sampling or it's a convenience sampling, but sometimes it's not. So we have to really read it carefully and see which category it falls in, whether it's probability or non-probability. I see, I see. So if you do not see those words that we have described today, Fatima has described so well today, you have to go to that section that talks about how we got this result. 
And this how will tell you we got a thousand participants out of the whatever 50 were selected this way or whatever you're saying. And then you have to do the calculation in your head saying, does that mean it is convenient or does that mean it was randomized? If it was randomized, what kind of randomized it was? Mm-hmm. Out of all of those, if we can put them like in a ladder, is there one that's like most gold standard or that's best? Mm-hmm. Yes. The simple random something. Mm-hmm. So simple random something when there's no groups, when everyone's in just put in for one group and you randomly choose from that one group, that's the best one. However, it is the most time consuming one, but that's the one that has the least sampling bias. So that's your gold standard. Yes. Simple random sampling. So if that is pretty difficult to do, because you need a very large pool of people, you need, you need a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. What would be the second best? Mm-hmm. Then the second one would be stratified random sampling. So stratified is when you put them into groups of so males versus females. If you have like four semesters in your term or in your school program, a semester one, two, three, four. So when, when you select people randomly from groups, that stratified random sampling, that probably would be the second one. Oh, okay, okay. Well, we might as well go to number three then. Which one is number three would be? <laughs> you know, I think at the end of the day, it depends on your study. Like sometimes simple random sampling is feasible. Sometimes it depends on what's feasible for you. So I don't know if you could really rank them per se. I think it just depends on the study and what's most feasible, given your resources that you have. All right. Well, thank but you systematic, so much. I probably would say systematic. Systematic, yeah, number 10th or yeah. number 7th or something in that list. Okay. I did a little bit of research at, at Foresight Institute back in the days. I helped out as a new grad, actually, while I was waiting for a job. But, you know, what I found out is that, you know, there's a lot of, because what they do is they add, let's say there's a new toothpaste that came mm-hmm. or, or a new drug. And that research center's job is to do the research on that. So they have patients actually using that, let's say the new toothpaste, and then they have to come back. And then, you know, we do all the probing, we do all the assessment and everything to record, to get the data. So, so our job was to be data person and to record that. And then the toothpaste company, for example, can say, according to our data, we've been able to prove the efficacy of, you know, this uh, new triclosan or any new ingredients to be this way, reduced gingivitis, because our data says people who use this have, you know, less inflammation at the end after six months or something. So, you know, now I think back about though, how did they get those patients? It probably was, well, randomized to a form, but also convenient to a certain degree too, because it's not Mm -hmm. everybody can try a toothpaste and sit in a chair for another three hours to be probed and measured to collect data. So it it would have been convenient in a way that it would be people who who can, uh, seniors, you know, they can come Mm -hmm. for three hours during the daytime, you know, for example. So. You know, this just makes me think a little bit about how much bias there is in the things that we right. read all the time from companies, from, from research. Exactly. And, and you bring up a good point because at the end of the day, what researchers should do is that the sample that they get, it should be a true representation of the population. It should be a true representation of what every, what, what it really should be, right? So I agree with you. Like when uh, researchers are trying to get people to come forward, it should be a good sampling technique. So such as someone like, you know, the example you get about convenience sampling, that's not exactly the ideal way because there could be bias, like you said. 
Yes. Well, now keep your eyes open to what kind of sampling their uh, any research has done and being able to ask those questions as well to whoever created that research. You know, it's our job at dental hygienists to really provide the best for patients. So I'm just encouraging also, you know, as students or new grad, we go to the conferences, right? And you go to conferences and you get a ton of material online. There's like, here's a research for you to read a one pager or something like that. And, you know, just go there and ask them how how was a sample collected? You know, I think that would be a great tip. Yeah, fun thing to mm-hmm. do. All right, Fatima, anything else you would like to share with us about sampling or anything else? You know, you have so much experience teaching as well. Well, maybe we could end up with like a question. So if I were to pose a question, let's just see if you guys know the answer. So let's say a question that you could get on your board exam or on your test could be if, for example, you wanted to sample 150 children from a school of 1,500 and you take every 10th name, what type of sampling method would that? So again, you have 1,500 students within your school. That's your population. That's everyone. And you only take 150 children to come forward and participate. And you take every 10th name. What type of sampling method would that be? So some of the answers you could, the the multiple choice options that you would probably get would be A, simple random sample, B, stratified sampling, C, systematic sampling, and then D, convenience sampling. I think you all know this by listening (laughs) to Fatima's explanation, Professor Datu's explanation. I think it's very (laughs) obvious. What is it? The answer is? So yeah, the answer is C, systematic sampling. And the reason why it's C is because systematic sampling involves selecting subjects randomly from for fixed intervals. So here we chose the, randomly the number 10 and every 10th person got selected from a list. So when you have, when you take every 10th person or ed, every X number of person gets selected, that's systematic sampling. Because systematic sampling is when you have fixed intervals. So when you choose a random number and then you Let's say a random number in this case was 10. Every 10th person from the attendance list, for example, was selected. That's how they got the 150 children. Wonderful. Thank you. I learned so much today about the different types of sampling. It reminds me, too, that when I read any research paper that I should be a little bit more careful just to have, you know, a little bit of not skepticism, but but really understanding what's behind the scenes in this research and not jump to the conclusion because don't we do that all the time when we read research papers, like pages and pages. And I Mm -hmm. want to go to the intro and then I go to the conclusion. Okay, what's the conclusion? (laughs) But if you have time, just go to this how that research was done and then you will get a better understanding of how much trust or how much, um, you know, how much you should be convinced of this research. Yeah. And that part, the how is always under the methodology section. So you might, when you're reading a journal article, go to the methodology section and that will tell you their sampling techniques. Great. Well, thank you so much, Fatima, today. You're, you know, obviously it shows that you have a, such a passion for education. Being able to explain such a difficult concept. Yeah, I really appreciate you being here today. And that lastly, I would love to mention that you are right now continuing your master's degree. Oh, I've completed it. Oh, you completed yeah, it. Hopefully, I am doing my PhD soon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you are mm-hmm. going to a PhD now? Soon. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. My That's God. my time. All mm-hmm. right. Well, wonderful. Thank you. And my last word here for our students is that, you know, 
if you think about Fatima, you started processing first, and then you completed your your degree at UBC. And by the way, everyone, this is in Canada. And then you continued your master's degree as well, and now going on for a PhD. So, you know, the story is that we have a lot of students asking all the time, "What am I want to continue my studies here? You know, I want to do something else. I want to continue with a master's. Is there any word you can tell our students? You know, any tips of how they should pursue that or think about how they should continue their education if they want to? Yeah, I get a lot of students asking me that, and I think it, it it all boils down to what is your passion. So my passion was teaching, which is why I did my master's in education. If your passion is in public health, then you might want to do your master's or degree in public health. My passion, I knew from the get go, was dental hygiene. Hence, I did my degree in dental hygiene, and then I knew I wanted to be a full time educator, which is why I did my master's in education. And now I'm going to do my PhD in education because I'm so very passionate about education. So I think just. Figure out what your passion is, and then it's a lot of work. I mean, you're reading a lot of papers, you're doing a lot of assignments, and it's all you have to enjoy doing it, right? Because it has to be your passion. So my passion is education. That's why I went that that route. But whatever passion you have, go that route. So it all comes down to listen to yourself, do a deep、yes. dive, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then being able to, because you know it's not easy, right? Continuing a master's and a PhD is not easy at all, and Amanda knows that too. And if it's not coming from your heart, it's gonna be hard to finish, right? Exactly. <laughs> Very yes. Very great. Well. Thank you so much, Professor Datu. You know, you will hear a little bit more from her as well. You know, she has so much to offer. So stay tuned, everyone, and well, have a great day in Ontario. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye. Hey, everybody. This is your co-host Amanda with a quick announcement. Have you looked at our VIP package yet? This has everything you need to help pass your national board exam. Whether you live in the United States, Canada, or really anywhere, our VIP package has something for everybody. We have recorded lectures, live lectures, curated and calibrated content made just for you to help you pass. Visit us today at studentrdh.com to sign up and for more information. See you next time.